So probably, as Angie was reading, um, you thought what I think she thought this week as, you were, as she was thinking over the, those, those verses, and you hear those verses read, and you think, man, that's, that's a hard place to begin, right? That the wrath of God, and I'm just going to read this again from, from my version, a little bit different version, this is NIV. Um, Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And I just want to say at the beginning of this message, okay, a couple things, a couple caveats, if you will. Um, one, today and next week are really one sermon, okay? Um, I don't want that to be lost on us as we read through this passage today. Um, and I say that to say we're going to stop today at Romans 3 verse 20, which is, listen, not a good place to stop, Okay, this is not good. It's not a good practice of preachers to stop at Romans 3.20 before you get to Romans 3.21, which is one of the most amazing but now verses in all of, this, in all of the scriptures, right? But we are, we're going to stop there today because I need, I think we need really to feel what Romans 1.18 through 3.20 has to say to us about the nature of sin. Now, let it be known. Here's, here's another thing I want to say up front. Let it be known. And we've already sung about this today. We've already talked about it. Praise God, we get to take communion every Sunday. I love that we do that. So we are reminded of the gospel. We are told the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come to this earth, lived a perfect life, a righteous life that we couldn't live, died on a cross for our unrighteousness, for our sin to save us, and rose again from the dead to redeem us from sin and death forever. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're really going to dive into next week. But this week, this week, we need to understand the weightiness of why that's good news. Of why it's such good news to know what Jesus has done for us. And the reason I say that is just to simply say, it's going to be hard for us to really get the good news and receive the good news if we don't listen to Paul about the bad news a couple of weeks ago, I was in Mississippi, um, the, the Sunday that I wasn't here. I was in Mississippi. I was speaking at a, a youth conference out there. And um, I actually asked the room, and I was a little nervous to ask this question, but I said in the room, I was like, is there anybody in here who used to have cancer and who doesn't currently have cancer, right? And a guy in the back of the room raised his hand. Um, he used to have cancer. Doesn't, um, Don, right? You used to have cancer, but you don't currently have cancer. Praise the Lord. Don, when I say to you, you don't have cancer right now, how does that feel? Awesome. That's exactly what the guy said last week. He said, awesome, right? It was like, that's amazing. I used to have it and I don't currently have it. And then I said, is there anybody in this room who's never had cancer? And like most of the hands went up, right? And I, there was this one young girl in the front and I said, hey, how does it feel to you that I say you don't have cancer? She said, oh, it's pretty good, right? What's the difference? The difference is you had bad news, Don. There was real bad news in your life and you now have good news. You don't have it anymore, Right? And if you've received the bad news and then you hear the good news, you're like, man, praise God, that's awesome. 
And that little girl, because she never had the bad news, she was like, yeah, it's kind of good, right? So that's the whole point. That's why Paul opens up this letter to the Romans to remind us as Christians who we were. And then listen, who we are if we're not in Christ. Who we are and what is true of us. And so today we're going to just really look at the nature of sin what that is and what that means for us, okay? So first point is this, that the nature of sin is simply, here's kind of the overarching definition, all right? The nature of sin from this passage we're gonna read today is that we, in our hearts, we exchange God for anything else. That is the nature of sin. That is what every sin you have ever committed begins with this exchange in your heart of God for something else. And Paul's gonna kind of walk us through that. So let's talk about the first one. Let's read Romans 1, and 23. It says this. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged, there's a word, okay? We're gonna see that a couple times. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. So the first exchange that Paul describes here is that we, in our sinful nature, now he's describing people, again, for the, for the Roman Christians, he's talking in theys as to say like, listen, if you're a Christian, this doesn't define you anymore. However, it's still the nature of sin to do these things, right? So when he says they, that really does apply to all humanity in the sense that our sinful nature is to do this, okay? The first thing is that we exchange the glory of God for images, that word glory that Paul is using here um, in the Greek, it's doxa. In the Old Testament, the same word for the Hebrews would have been the word kavod. And it's a word, both of those words in the, in the scriptures, kavod and doxa, they both kind of come with them the idea of intrinsic worth, intrinsic value. That's what it is when we talk about God's glory, that if you really kind of get to the root of what that word is, what the idea is there, is that God in his nature is the most wonderfully valuable one in all of existence, right? There is nothing and no one more deeply, intrinsically precious and valuable than God. That's his glory, his value on display. This is who I am. When God talks about his glory in scripture, usually you, the, the pictures we kind of usually get are that it's some kind of brightness, some kind of light, some kind of, like it's sort of this, the idea that as, as God would display his glory to the world, right, that it's beautiful and we see it as beautiful, right? That we understand that God is, apart from everything else, the most valuable one that exists. And so this first exchange is just to simply say this, that we have traded that glory, that value of God for anything or anyone, any image, any substance, anything in our lives that is by nature less valuable. Because if God's most valuable, everything else by nature is what? Less valuable. So anything that we would trade God for in our lives would by nature be less valuable. Although God is all-knowing, for instance, we'd rather have things on the internet to tell us what's true, right? Although God is all powerful, we'd rather be comforted by other things. Although he's all good, we'd rather feel safe because of other things. Although he's all present and all loving, we would rather escape into a world of social media or hold things in our hands. And when we read this passage about we have traded the glory of God for images that look that, like he's literally talking about maybe images that they would have set up in their homes of birds and fish and reptiles is what he said, like images that maybe they would actually worship. But do we not do the same thing in our world today? 
Do we not have images and things that we can hold in our hands that are currently in your pockets? Mine's sitting on my chair, right? That we can hold in our hands, right? What is this about? If this is about anything, it's about control, isn't it? That we have traded in the God of glory who controls us for things that we can hold in our hands to control. This is an exchange of power. It's an exchange of worth. It's an exchange of value. We're saying, God, I want to trade in you as most valuable into something that I can hold and control in my own hand that I consider to be valuable to me, right? It's not just about cell phones, but anything in our lives, guys. Honestly, this includes ourselves, that we would exchange God's glory for our own image, for our own selves, that we would exchange God. This is the nature of sin, the first one that Paul mentions, that we would rather have buyable, breakable, stealable, losable, corruptible, downloadable, destructible things than God. That's the nature of sin. The second one, Romans 125, he says this. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. We exchange the truth of God for a lie. That word truth, aletheia, aletheia in Greek. Um, it's actually one of my favorite Greek words. The word we named our daughter after aletheia. Um, it means that is what is objectively real, right? This was the Greek idea of like absolute reality. So when Paul is using this word for the Roman Christians, they would understand to, to trade in the truth of God. It's to trade in everything that God says about himself and about us and about the world and about creation for what we want to be true. For our own, like to trade in the objective reality for subjective opinion, right? This is the nature of sin. And this is something, again, if you are not a Christian, this is what you walk in every day without thought or care. And if you are a Christian, even we will still struggle in our lives and in our hearts, right? To trade in God's truth for lies, to believe what is not true. Guys, this defines our postmodern world, does it not? We live in a world that speaks highly of your truth. Your truth being the truth. And Paul and the rest of the biblical authors speak of God and God alone as truth. Jesus called himself the truth. The truth is not a subjective thing that we can make up for ourselves. The truth is a person named Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. Right? So we have traded this in. And by the way, as we talk about these exchanges, oh, Jesus is the embodiment of all. This. He's the embodiment of the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. He's the embodiment of the truth of God. Right? John 14, 6, he is the embodiment of all these things. So as we exchange God for other things in our lives, we're always exchanging Christ. He has put Christ forward as his image for us to see him and love him and know him, put our faith in him. And so as we make these exchanges, we're always exchanging Jesus for other things. And this is how sinful nature works in our lives. To say my truth, that is one of the most arrogant things you could ever say. Truth belongs to God. Truth is his, Jesus is truth. And yet in our hearts, we are so drawn away from this to exchange this for other things. We live in a culture, we live in a world where every person's truth must be taken as fact. Every person's religion must be confessed as valid. Every person's self must be bowed down to as God. And Paul, in the scriptures, Jesus, they outrightly object that, they reject that idea. God is truth. And to claim anything else, it's a lie. 
And yet, in our sinful nature, we would be drawn towards this. In the third exchange, verse 28, this is the saddest one. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not be done. So the third exchange is that we exchange a relationship with God for He didn't say. He just says, we didn't think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. So we are exchanged, like he doesn't say the word exchange here, but an exchange is implied. It's not a rational exchange. It's not a tangible exchange. It's just simply an exchange in our hearts, in our sinful nature to say to God, God, I don't know what else I want to know. I just don't want to know you. That's the deepest, worst, most egregious, rebellious exchange that human beings can make against Almighty God. Guys, look back to the Garden of Eden with me for just a second as we think about Adam and Eve. Did they not make all of these exchanges, right? Did they not exchange the glory of God for something they could see and hold in their hand? Did they not do that? They looked at the fruit and said, what? It is pleasing to the eye. And then it said, it's also good for attaining wisdom. They changed the truth of God for a lie. And the serpent said to them, is God really good to you? Didn't God not really say, you're not really gonna die? What are they doing? They're exchanging what God said for a lie. And are they not at the deepest level exchanging a relationship that they had with God for ignorance at the end of the day? Are they not trading this in for now a God that they did know, a God that they had relationship with, they no longer do. They exchanged all of these things. And this is our sinful nature. This, This exchange, this last one, to just trade in the knowledge of God for ignorance. It's just simply to say, like, to kind of push God out of your knowledge. God, I don't want to know you. God, I don't want to have a relationship with you. Can you imagine, those of you who are married in this room, this is what this exchange would be like. You're married, and your spouse comes to you one day, and they say this, look, hey, listen, I want to divorce you. There's nobody else. I just don't love you. I don't want to be around you. I don't want to know you. I don't want to see you. That's the, that's the wickedness of this exchange. We just don't want God in our minds and our knowledge. We want to ignore him. Job 21, 14 and 15 says this. As Job is kind of commenting on this kind of thing. He says, yet they say to God, leave us alone. We have no desire to know your ways. Who is the almighty that we should serve him? What would we gain by praying to him? That's, that's sort of the heart of sinful man. And that's another point that we need to see in all of this is that sin originates in our hearts. All of this, all of these exchanges, where do they come from? They originate in our hearts. That's where these sins come from in our lives. And listen, again, even as Christians, Paul's talking to Christians and he's just trying to help us to see there is bad news about who we were before we knew Jesus. And the reality is all of us still struggle with these exchanges in our lives every day, every sin you have ever committed. And we all agree because the New Testament is clear on this too. We're still sinful. And so as we commit sin, we are still struggling every day to make these exchanges or not make. What is sanctification? What is God doing in our lives? He's constantly drawing us out of these exchanges to see that he is most glorious, that his truth is always good, and that a relationship with him and righteousness is what we need more than we need anything else to draw us back to Jesus every day. And that's what we need. These exchanges happen 
in our hearts, he said in verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their futile, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts, their hearts were darkened. John 3, 19, Jesus says the, the verdict is this, that light has come into the world and yet men continue to live in the darkness. They love the darkness. They love the darkness. Why? Why did they love the darkness? Because their deeds were evil. Where does love come from? The heart. These exchanges in the sinful nature of mankind, guys. It comes from our hearts. This is, uh, uh, Miss Julie, I'm not going to read a couple of those other scriptures. Just want to let that kind of sit for a second. Um, leave that verse up there if you would. Because I want us to understand this. That sin is not just something that happens to you. Okay? Can't, do we, we need to get this at the deepest level of who we are. That sin is not just something out there in the world that affects us from the outside. Sin is what happens from the inside of us, from inside of our hearts. And we miss this so many times. We get this backwards all the time and we start to believe because we live in a victim culture, right? We live in a culture where you are just the victim of sin. You are just the victim of bad things. You are just the victim of wickedness and evil. It's not true. First and foremost, you and I are the perpetrators of sin. That's true of us. There's only been one human being who ever lived who was purely 100% the victim of sin and his name was Jesus. And you and I are the perpetrators. Jesus didn't just die for us. He died because of us. Our sin. This is who we are. Sin is not just something that happens from the outside in. It happens from within our hearts. And we miss this so many times. You know how I know that we miss this? Y'all know in Proverbs 4 where it says, guard your heart. Most people believe that that verse means guard your heart because it's a sweet little innocent heart that nothing bad would ever happen to it from the outside. That's not what that verse means because right after that, he starts talking about what comes out of your heart, right? So when he says guard your heart, it's not like my heart's back here and I'm protecting it from the world. When he says guard your heart, it's you are a prisoner heart. Don't you dare affect the world with your sin. That's what that verse means. Like our hearts are wicked. Jeremiah 17, nine says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Like that's who we are in our nature. The guys, that's bad news. You and I have cancer in our hearts apart from Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit in us. This is why Paul opens this book up so that when he gets to the good news, it's that much better. You and I are not basically good. We're basically evil and sinful because what else could you call it if we have committed treason against our King and our God? rejected him and exchanged him over and over and over again, his glory and his truth and even a relationship with him. What else could you call it? And so as Paul walks through, and I obviously don't have time to do this, but as Paul would walk through the rest of this passage, um, and we would see that uh, in chapter two and chapter three that he continues to talk about these things, right? So the Jews, as he's talking, he's kind of more talking to the Gentiles in chapter one. And the Jews would naturally think, yeah, Gentiles, you guys, it's all about y'all. Y'all are wicked. Y'all are vile. Y'all have sinful hearts. And Paul in chapter two is basically talking to the Jews going, hold on. Hold on just a second. So really, I want us to kind of hear this as maybe chapter one is a little bit more to those who have not come to Jesus yet. But chapter two would be those who have come to Jesus. And we're looking at everybody else going, yeah, you guys are wicked. You guys are sinful. You guys are broken. And Paul's just going, no, it's all of us. 
Don't you understand this? All of us are broken. All of us are lost. All of us are hopeless apart from Jesus. Don't we dare start believing that we have earned something here just because we're church people. Don't you dare start believing that because grandma raised you to show up on Sunday mornings that you're better than anybody else. You and I alike are under sin. Paul goes into uh, Romans 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 9. He says this, There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. His point is, when it comes to our sinful nature, God's not looking at any one group of people and saying, you're better off than the other. The point is you're either in Christ or you're not. You're either living according to the word of God in Jesus or you're not. And all of us wrestle with this every single day. Romans 2, 12 and 13. He says this, for who, all who sin apart from the law will perish apart from the law. All who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. And he's going to, again, continue to explain this and walk through it with the, with the Jews as we get into next week. We're going to talk a little bit more about this. Like, how do we become doers of the law? How do we become obeyers to the law of God in righteousness? That's only through faith in Jesus Christ. But he's just trying to make this point. Again, we're all under sin and that God is the righteous judge of all people. He's trying to even the playing field for us that as we in our hearts start to hear these things, and I know some of us sitting in our chairs this morning, we're hearing some of these things and going, this doesn't really apply to me though, right? This just applies to them. This just applies to some other group of people. And Paul's just leveling out the playing field going, no, this applies to us all. And if you hear this message and you hear these words from Paul in Romans and your pride puffs up and you think, this is not about me. This has nothing to do with me. I don't need to repent. I don't need to turn my heart back to God. Then you're probably the person here who needs to hear this the most. To understand that we are all dead in our sins. If not for the grace of Jesus. And even once we have received the grace of Jesus, we must understand what our nature is. And that daily, it's not like Satan's going to give up tempting us, right? It's not going to stop. And that daily we're going to be drawn away because of our sinful nature, still drawn back. Like we still live in these sinful bodies and it's going to be a struggle for us. But God is going to draw us back into himself. So here's kind of how Paul kind of wraps all this section up. It's really chapter 118 through 2 and all the way into chapter 3. Here's how he kind of wraps up this section. Just kind of giving us a diagnosis of the human race, Okay. Chapter three, starting in verse 10, he says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They together have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. In the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So again, Paul's just saying, this is 
the sinful reality of every human heart. That in and of ourselves, guys, there is nothing good we can do to have earned the favor and the blessing, the salvation, the mercy of God. And God is just in judging every person. He says, so that every mouth may be silenced. You will not stand before God and he judge you for your sin and you have some excuse to say to him. It's not gonna happen. If you die apart from Christ and you go stand before your judge one day and he starts recounting to you your sins, if that's what he's gonna do, you're not gonna have a but to say back to him. You're gonna have a, yes, sir, you're right. That's all you will be able to say. And all of us, apart from Christ, this is who we are. So what do we get when we exchange God? That's the question. What do we get? What's the payment? What's the reward that we would receive, so to speak, when we make these exchanges in our hearts? I'm gonna read three verses back to back. Here's what it is. Romans 1.24, he says this. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Verse 26, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Listen, I don't have to go into all of that as far as like what sins Paul is talking about because honestly, his point is the deeper exchanges that are happening in the human race. Once we exchange God's glory, once we exchange God's lies, nothing is off the table for us. I have traded in what God said and who he is for what I wanna do. And so I can do whatever I want. And then the third one, he says, furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not be done. And then he just goes through a list of things that happens once we make these exchanges in our hearts. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. He throws that one in there. That is crazy. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. And verse uh, one of chapter two says, you therefore have no excuse you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. He's talking to Christians. That that's who you were apart from Christ. And yet even now we continue in these exchanges at times in our lives and we turn our hearts back to change God's glory, to change God's uh, truth and to change the relationship we could have for him for all sorts of other things in this world. So what do we get when we make this exchange? Paul's answer is right here, you get what you pay for. When he said that God's wrath is being revealed against all mankind, that's the answer. How does God dis display his wrath right now in the world? It will get worse, but right now, how is he displaying it? He's letting people do what their sin wants to do. Isn't it ironic that the highest good in our culture, you do you, Right, That's the highest good in our culture. Do what you want to do. That's the very thing. That is the very thing that Paul is saying is proof that God's wrath is on your life. You do what you want to do. And so all that to say, 
this message this morning, if you would hear this message, here's the diagnosis of whether or not you remain under the wrath of God. If you hear this message and you think, so what? I I don't care. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. I don't know if it's true of me. I don't feel like it's true of me. I don't know if I've ever done these things. I don't know if I even need to be paying attention to what God is saying here. I don't really care about that. And if you would just kind of answer this saying, you know what? I enjoy the fruit of my sin. I enjoy this because, yes, maybe I have made these exchanges and I don't really care and I enjoy how I live my life. Let me do what I want to do. Then that's proof that the wrath of God remains on your life. But if you would hear this message this morning and just simply say that it would break your heart to know. That it would break your heart to know that maybe even this week we've changed God's glory for images. We've changed his truth for lies. We've changed a relationship for ignorance. That we've chosen not to live for him, not to love him, not to know him in some ways. Guys, we all do this. I don't know about you, but there have been times, I'm just being real honest. There's been times me and my wife have laid in our beds on our phones, backs to each other. And this makes me so mad when I think about the fact that I would allow something so unvaluable unglorious to dictate how I live my life sometimes. What I do, that is changing the glory of God for him. That's just what that is. And we allow our hearts to be drawn away from the God who loves us, who loves us so much that he would give us, our, give us his son to pay for our exchange, that he would exchange his son for our hearts that exchange him for all these other things. How crazy is that? And so if you would hear that this morning and it would grieve your heart that maybe you've made an exchange, that it should lead us to repentance. So Paul says in chapter two, last verse for today, he says, so when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, Do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or, verse 4, do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? God's kindness leads us to repentance. Do you see the kindness of God over your life right now? Do you see the 10,000 exchanges you have made throughout your life to replace God for all manner of other things, to choose to do what you want to do rather than what the word of God would lay on your heart to do every day? Guys, repentance is not just for non-Christians. It is for Christians. You know who's told the gospel more than anybody else in the New Testament? Christians. Paul preaches the gospel to Christians over and over and over, people who have already received it because we need to hear it and we need to be reminded of who we were and yes, what Jesus has done for us and so that his kindness would lead us again to repentance. And so listen, I'll be honest, y'all. I mean, this this is a hard 
thing to preach. It just is a lot of scripture, and it's a, it's, it's a hard thing to kind of let settle. And even as I'm standing up here, I'm just thinking, man, I don't even know if it's settled. I don't even know if it's touched your heart. I don't even know if you've heard any of it today. I don't know if I have, but here's all I know. I just want to say, would we repent of sin? Would we repent? If you hear this message and don't want to repent, then I, I, I don't know if you heard any of that. But if you just hear God's word and go, oh God, I just, I don't know what it is in my life. I don't know what kind of image. I don't know what kind of lies I'm believing. I don't know what kind of thing I'm exchanging for a relationship with you, but I just want to know you better. And I want to draw near to you more. I'm just calling us all as a church to repent. And that starts with me because I need to. And it's not a pretty way to end a sermon. I know that. But it's just the call this morning is to repent come back to him to see his kindness in Jesus and let us be drawn to his feet to say, God, I don't ever want to exchange anything for you. Would you sanctify me? Would you help me today to continue walking with you in faith? So we're going to sing a song and we're going to have, have that opportunity today and if you just write where you're at, maybe just want to sit and pray and ask the Lord to forgive your sins. Honestly, I want to challenge you to come right down here and bow with me in repentance as a church. Because you know what? I just think sometimes as a church collectively, we need to do that together. Maybe just come and pray together and ask God that he would forgive us for living like we don't know Jesus sometimes even though so many of us do. And maybe some of you in this room, you don't know Jesus yet. And for the first time today, you want to repent and turn away from that sin and confess that Christ is Lord. But for all of us, repentance is a fruit of the Spirit. It is, a, it is the reality and the, 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 the evidence that the Spirit is working in us that he would draw us back to the heart of Jesus to lay down our pride. And I think we just need to lay that down today. Repentance, trusting in Jesus and his kindness, letting that lead us away from sin and back to the heart of God. So I'm just gonna leave it there. Repent. Repent of your sins come back to him today. Whatever that is, lay it down. Come down and let's pray together. Let's repent together as a church and let's commit ourselves. Let's commit ourselves back to Jesus Christ, our Savior. May we never, ever exchange him for anything else less valuable, anything that's not true, anything that would separate us from him. Let's repent.